0: The Bree folk were always there, or so they say. The Lord of the Rings tells us that, according to their own tales anyway, the men of Bree were the original inhabitants and were the descendants of the first men that ever wandered into the west. This might put them somewhere in the same family as the Elf Friends or Eddine, but I don't believe that. More like as not, they're some kind of nice, drunk, agricultural offshoots of some Easterling band or other. And most sources seem to put them in the same line as the Dunlendings, albeit separated by the centuries and made more fat and less warlike. We also learn from the Lord of the Rings that their home, the village of Bree, had some hundred stone houses along with a few hobbit holes for good measure. Of course, all that really matters for most of us is that Bree Town holds a very special inn. It's time to find that merry old inn and see what the ins and outs and ups and downs of Bree have in store for me. It's Bree Town, and you are listening to Beneath Your Feet.
1: Dirty old town, dirty old town Clouds are traps, down across the moon Cats and dogs, they're the beach. Spring's a girl, in the streets at night Dirty old town, dirty old town Dirty old town
0: For those of you who only ever saw the movies, the images in your brain of Bree show a dark, rainy, haunted-looking place full of belching Peter Jacksons, swarthy, suspicious men, and inns with floors slick enough to send Elijah Wood flying to the ground. I never thought it a fair interpretation of the Bree of the book. The real Bree is a very nice place. Imagine your old English grandmother's house expanded to the size of some Jane Austen village. It doesn't change, it's uncomfortable with the idea as a whole, in fact, and is pretty much always glad to see you. In fact, that's probably the only way the sleepy village survived the long dark years of the Second Age and the costly wars of the later kingdoms of Arnor. So here I am at one of the main gates of Bree. In addition to its resistance to change and initial acceptance of the other races of Middle-earth, Bree is geographically well fortified. Looking up, I can see Bree Hill, To my left and right it runs, enclosing the village along with the great walls and hedge, not to mention the ditch surrounding it on the outside. Nestled safely in the shadow of the hill, hedged by the smaller hamlets of Coombe, Archid, and Staddle, set aside from the concerns of the rest of the world, Bree endured. Being the most westerly of settlements at the time of the War of the Ring, Bree is relatively safe from the wiles of Sauron. Sure, they have to beat back some dirty Southrons, but that's nothing compared to the beating endured by Rohan and Gondor so far away. But its location puts it in a unique position to influence the events of the books. It is in the wide, hilly lands between the Blue Mountains and the Misty, given plenty of rain and a long growing season. In short, it's like the Shire without the Shire. Speaking of which, I can't help but notice a few hobbits roaming around. Bree is said to be the only place in Middle-earth where hobbits and men, the big folk, live together in famous peace and harmony. More on that later. Bree doesn't come into play until the events of the great years. Not unlike its physical geography, Bree is nestled into its own pocket of history, weathering the storms I enumerated before. Even when it was part of the great northern kingdom of Arnor, and later Arthdyne, or was it Cardolan, Bree remained staunchly independent, seemingly oblivious to the great goings-on in its midst. But the negligence paid off, some would say, as Bree bent but did not break, and remained the final remnant of civilization between Rivendell and the Shire. Cutting to the right of the West Gate takes me through the sparsely populated area between the hedge and the hill. A few cottages, pig pens, and craftsfolk, and little else. To my left rises the Scholar's Stair, an unlikely addition to the Brie of the Lord of the Rings Online. There, the lore masters of Brie, assuming there were some, sit and dwell on the deeper things of life. Meanwhile, below, I pass through the Ironmonger's Gate, approaching Beggar's Alley and the old stone ruins at the edge of town, a hint at the great history Brie claims. Further on, approaching the South Gate and the Auction House, and Bill Fernie's house, is a little spot called the Jasmine Garden. It's these little touches where the game makers have filled in the many gaps and gray areas provided by the books that bring the village of Bree to life. One might argue that such a sleepy place could not be half as lively as it is presented in Lotro, but who wants to walk through a boring, dreary, rainy, dark town full of scary people? I'm looking at you, Mr. Jackson. Though I suppose it might be hard to present the quaint and pleasant ways of Bree made obvious by Frodo and company's enjoyable time at the inn without making it as lively as it is in the game. The parallels between Bree, its surrounding hamlets, and the Shire are inevitable. They both present a lazy, uneventful, some would say almost paradisical vision of life in the English countryside before the machines came. It's thought that Tolkien modeled Bree after the real English town of Brill in Buckinghamshire. It's still small and quaint, but not as rural as the countryside we envision when thinking of the Shire. Similarly, the hobbits and men of Bree, despite open interaction and friendly relationship with traveling bands of elves and dwarves, seem oblivious to the world without. They haven't survived as long as they have by meddling in the affairs of wizards, or anyone else for that matter, so they don't. If the exit of four hobbits and a ranger is enough to empty Bree, and Archit, and Coom and Staddle just for a peek, we get the idea. Bree folk don't get out much. Sound familiar? It should. Despite their proximity, less than a day's ride, There are very few travelers between the Shire and Bree. It is an insular life, but one well-lived. Now, I keep coming back to this claim that Bree is and was and will be, clinging to its heritage from the long-forgotten elder days. I've made it up the hill and main thoroughfare of Bree, passing many a looming home and a smithy into the courtyard of that inn of inns I spoke about before. If there's any place to ponder such a question, it's here. The Prancing Pony, owned and operated by none other than Barleyman Butterbur, How can I be of service? You can't see old Barley without realizing his great importance to the history of literature. Well, fantasy literature, anyhow. If you've ever read any medieval fantasy novels subsequent to Tolkien, you know the stereotype of the innkeeper fat, bald, rambling, busy, flustered, quaint, basically everything Barleyman is. I like Barley because he serves that great theme of Tolkien's work, where even the smallest of things influence and change the great workings of the world. Despite his forgetfulness and hasty mind, he still manages, by providence, to help keep Frodo and the Ring from danger once they have made it to his fine abode. Furthermore, his place, as the only meeting hall on the Great Road, has chipped the boulder of history in its own way. Think not only of Frodo or Strider, but of Gandalf and Thorin, their chance meeting that became the drip, that became the flood of the events of the Hobbit. What better setting than this? So, after a brief welcome by the man himself, I'm seated in the common room dwelling on the history of Brie. I'm reminded of Constantinople, or Samarkand, cities in the primary world that rested at great crossroads of history. Be it the Silk Road or the intersection of civilizations, they thrived because they were stuck in. It's the same with Brie, but at a much smaller scale. It isn't nestled between the empires of East and West. It's just the only stop on a long road through danger from the dwarven halls of Erebor or the peaceful valley of Rivendell to the Shire or Thorns Hall or the Sea, why? Because Bree folk endure. Not unlike their distantly related hobbit cousins, these Bree men seem to be cream puffs on the outside, but hard as mithril inside, just waiting for some threat or foe to waggle a sword at their easygoing lifestyle. So, wherever its people came from, the village of Bree isn't going anywhere. King on the throne or no, the lights will always be on at the Prancing Pony.
1: There is an in- A merry old inn beneath an old gray hill. And there they brew a beer so brown that the man in the moon himself came down one night to drink his fill.
0: This has been episode 3 of Beneath Your Feet, Town. This is Shipwreck, and I hope you learned a thing or two about that famous little village. I also hope that all of you Lotro players are enjoying the newly released Rise of Isengard expansion and clearing out the gap of Rohan from all those white hand orcs. I'd like to remind you to check out the website at LotrobeneathYourfeet.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, follow me on Facebook, and subscribe to the blog. A quick thank you goes out to Fedemir and I Hate Zombies for their generous reviews on iTunes. Thanks, guys. I've gotten several comments for more podcasts, and while you know, I'm flattered, I'm trying very hard to keep the releases to every other week. Uh, not that the podcasts are so long and difficult to produce, but because I'm in a very busy time of life, And I've got a baby hobbit on the way. So I figure that if I can maintain a consistent schedule, then that's better than doing it every week, then dropping down to once a month, then back up, and so on. So thanks for the encouragement. Uh, Please keep your comments coming. And don't forget to submit any screenshots, uh, short stories, poems, songs, tips, etc. at any time by emailing me shipwreck at lotrobeneathyourfeet.com. Next episode, I'll be branching out into the waterfall world of Lake Evendim, so check back next time when we go Beneath Your Feet. And
1: the little chased his The man in the moon took another mug and then rolled beneath his chair. And there he dozed and dreamed of ale till in the sky the stars were pale. And dawn was in the air. Then the ostler said to his tipsy cat, "The white horses of the moon." They neigh and champ the silver bits, but the master's been and drowned his wits, and the sun'll be rising soon. cat on his fiddle played, hey diddle diddle, the jig that would wake the dead. He squeaked and saw and quickened the tune, while the landlord shook the man in the mood. It's after three, he said. the man slowly up the hill and bundle him into the moon while his horses galloped up in rear and the cow came capering like a deer and a dish ran up with a spoon Now quicker the fiddle went deedle dum diddle the dog began to roar The cow and the horses stood on their heads the guests all bounded from their beds and danced upon the floor With a ping and a pong, the fiddle strings broke cow jumped over the moon And the little dog laughed to see such fun And the salad dish went off At a run with a silver sunny spoon The round moon rode behind the hill As the sun raised up her head She hardly believed her fiery eyes For though it was day to her surprise They all went back to bed